Good morning. Yes, praise the Lord. It's great to be in the house of the Lord uh, this morning. Great to see baptism. That's wonderful. I never, ever get tired of that. It's beautiful seeing God work in people's lives. He does. He continues to. Let's talk about our good, good God this morning. We've been uh, on a series called God is Binary, and I've talked about that. You know, it's not really the cultural, uh, what the culture would jump to immediately. I've been talking about uh, binary pairs in Scripture, things that seem opposite, yet they go together, some that are maybe our attributes more so, some that are God's attributes, and in it all, God's over it. In it all, he is. We covered pride and humility, the pride of Satan, how the pride of Satan introduced corruption and sin into the world, and then humility, the humility of Jesus, who came to, to this world. He offered his life sacrificially, solution for sin. We covered remembering and forgetting how God remembers us individually, which is really just amazing. That is, it, it, it's hard to comprehend that amazing love of God. He remembers us individually and how when we repent, we turn to him, he forgets our sin as far as the east is from the west. That, that's how far he removes it. Fantastic blessing. This morning, another uh, binary pair, as I have been calling it. And, and this pair, this is, these are attributes of God. And they might seem at odds with one another, this pair that I, oh, we'll touch on this morning. And it's justice and mercy. Justice and mercy. They, they have to do with what's merited, what's deserved in very, very simple terms because we could wax eloquent about both of these words if we wanted to, but in very simple terms regarding what's merited or deserved, justice is receiving what is deserved. And mercy, mercy is not receiving what is deserved but, but let me get a little more specific on these. Just define our terms a little bit. So when I say these words today, you know where I'm at. First, justice. There are many forms of justice, especially in our culture. Justice is talked about. There's a lot of buzzwords that go before the word justice. They're, they're like a prefix to justice. Distributive, procedural, interactional, social, administrative, civil, and of course, criminal, criminal justice. And I think when we say justice, that often comes to mind, criminal justice. It might be the first thing we think about when we hear the word justice. We may even picture a judge sitting behind his bench and having to deal with someone who committed a crime. Uh, we, that, that is a kind of a... Uh, a primary image of justice. And you, you picture that judge, and what does the judge do? The judge is administering justice. And that's a primary definition of the term. Justice is about administering or maintaining what is just. And what is just? Well, that's what's lawful, 
That's what's uh, righteous. That is what's lawful, right. It's a standard. Uh, conforming to a standard, that's what's just. And uh, justice is administering that, administering staying to the standard of righteousness. And so when I say justice today, it's not one of these, it's not intersectional or interactional or social justice. It's administering what's right, what's lawful, what's righteous, administering conforming to a, a standard. And that's, that's where I'm at when you hear me today and I say justice. And some don't like the, that meaning. Some just cringe at it because justice is not objective in a sense that it can be defined like that. It's subjective and uh, conforming to a standard. Well, that can seem unfair at times. Uh, for example, the word of God says, uh, do not be deceived. Adulterers will not inherit the kingdom of God. So live as an adulterer, if that's your lifestyle, well, then heaven is closed to you. Well, some just say, well, that's not just. And it's not justice to keep the door of heaven closed. That's unfair. We're two people that are consenting adults. Who are we hurting anyway? They don't like the standard. They don't like the standard that's been established, which is simply put, do not commit adultery. Justice administers that standard, the standard of what's just. That's my definition. And administering justice, that, would, that might typically involve a penalty when, when the standard isn't followed. A penalty ensues. Justice, so it has this idea of penalty, but it can also be restorative if something was stolen from you. Justice is having what's stolen returned. Restitution is part of justice. It, depending on which side you're on, justice might bring a punishment, it might bring restoration. Either way, it's what was deserved. It's what you deserve. Either way, justice is ministering that what's just. And in many cases, we'll speak of it and the punitive side comes to mind. Punitive justice, a penalty. Justice comes to someone who's done something wrong. A penalty follows. And if justice is punishment-oriented, then mercy, mercy's on the other side. Mercy is pardon-oriented. If one uh, deserves punishment, but instead receives pardon, well, they've received then what they did not deserve. And we call that mercy. Mercy then is a leniency. Mercy is forbearance. Mercy, in another word, is compassion. So justice and mercy, punishment and pardon, can they even coexist? Does mercy diminish justice? Does mercy rob justice? Does justice undermine mercy? Does justice eliminate mercy? The prophet Isaiah wrote, the Lord is a God of justice. The prophet Zephaniah, he wrote, the Lord does no injustice. Moses, the, the, the early books of the Bible, the Psalms, all the prophets speak again and again of God's justice. 
And if God is perfectly just, he is, he's just, he's righteous. If he's perfectly just and he administers justice perfectly, how can he be merciful? Can these two things coexist? The prophet Jeremiah, he was a beaten and broken man to the point of hopelessness. And he wrote about his hopelessness, but he also wrote, my hope is renewed. And how was his hope renewed? His hope was renewed when he called to mind this, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, his mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. In Psalm 103, King David, he wrote, God redeems your life from the pit and he crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Moses and the Psalms and the prophets, they speak again and again of God's justice, and they speak again and again of God's mercy. How is God's perfect justice reconciled with this unbounded mercy? From a human perspective, there, we have gray areas. There is... There's an issue in your life. There's an issue with someone's life. And you see too much mercy and not enough justice. Or you see justice was way over the top, heavy-handed. Mercy was lacking. We could come up with many examples in life. I'll give you an example of uh, mercy and justice from my own life. This harkens back. I was 17 years old. I don't recommend this, by the way. If you're 17, don't do what I'm going to talk about. I'm not glorifying it. When I was 17, senior in high school, I bought a motorcycle. I bought a Kawasaki 750. It was, it was called the H2 uh, 750. It was a three-cylinder, two-stroke. They called it the Mach 4. It was the fastest thing on two wheels. I didn't have a dad around to tell me what to do, and I kind of didn't care. I didn't care what my mother said. I went and bought this thing. And I had a riot on it. It was, a, it was fun, and it was fast, definitely. I received my first ever citation on that motorcycle. Uh, I had a brother, two years my elder. He had a Norton 750, an English motorcycle. And he really got into me about where my motorcycle was manufactured. He said some very derogatory things, things I cannot repeat in church. He was needling me one summer night. It might have been a Friday night, Saturday. I can't remember for sure, but he was needling me all over. Yeah, that thing's a piece of junk, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And finally I said, enough. Come on, let's go. So we went up onto Harper Avenue. I remember it very well. Harper Avenue, eight and a half mile road, California, the stoplight. We were the first. And both of us, while that light was red, we laid down on those gas tanks and we opened the throttles and we were just ready to pop the clutch when the light turned green. And when it turned green, I will say this, my elder brother, he was a little better at the response time. He did maybe catch me off the line for a fraction of a second. But his two-cylinder English motors, it was like a tractor engine, really. My motorcycle was zero to 60 in five seconds flat, which was fast at that time. I know things go faster nowadays, but in a second, he was behind me. By third gear, speed limit was doubled for sure. And I just, 
he was in my rearview mirror. I was like, yes, victory, finally. Maybe he'll shut up. And I was watching him in my rearview mirror, and then I saw these two blue lights go on. So I pulled over dutifully, Nine Mile and Harper, the Red Barn. It was a burger restaurant, I remember it. Pulled in there. My brother pulls up and he says, what are you stopping for? I was like, listen, you want to run, go. I'm staying. The officers arrived. Two of them got out of the car. And you know what? One of them, I just graduated high school with his son. My high school was still in view right there at Nine Mile in, in Harper. I was like, hey, just graduated with your son, Rich. You know, I figured I'd try to get a little bit, you know, get on his good side. These two officers, they were not really friendly. Uh, they took our paperwork. They got in their car. My brother is just, go, you know, Pat, we could have beat them. What are you stopping for? Da, da, da. They got out of the car. And they told us, listen, we could write you up for reckless driving. We could impound your motorcycles. We could take you in if we wanted to and lock you up for the night. And then they handed us our citations. This was my first ever moving violation. I was 17 years old. Five miles over the limit. I was like, yes, hey, that's pretty good. Not bad. I get to keep my motorcycle on. I'll tell you, I had visions of it. Gone. My brother, they wrote him up for no motorcycle endorsement on his license. That's a non-moving violation. All he's got to do is go to Secretary of State. No fine, nothing. Now, was justice served? Now, you might say that was way too merciful. You hooligan teenagers should have been locked up. You should have been taught a lesson. You should have had your motorcycles impounded. You, you're a menace on the roads. Well, I might agree now that it's almost 40 years behind me. Uh, it's more than 40 years behind me. What am I saying? I'm old. Uh, Was that too much mercy? I say justice was served. I received a citation. I paid a fine. There was a penalty. So from my perspective, that was justice from someone else. Buddy, you got off really, really easy. There's a gray area there. Hmm. Too much mercy? Maybe. See. There's no exact line. There's no exact line in human terms where justice and mercy meet. In our humanness, it, it often depends on which side of the scale we stand on. If we've done wrong, we want mercy. Listen, I do something wrong, I want the mercy. I'm looking for it. If we've been wronged, whew, now we want justice. Now we want justice. I was recently wronged. In February, I was hit by a drunk driver. And a guy smashed into my car. He hit me. He bounded up the curb after he hit me. And uh, fortunately, where I was hit, there was about 200 feet of grass frontage before a building. And this guy hit me, and he was so, so uh, inebriated. He, started, he was driving circles on the grass uh, while I was calling uh, law enforcement. Then he bounded back down the curb and he took off down the road. And fortunately, he was, he, he was eventually stopped about five miles away. Thankfully, he didn't hurt anyone else or hit anyone else. How do I respond, though? How do I respond? 
I have a smashed vehicle. I'm troubled that this individual fled the scene. But I think, I think, okay, what did Jesus say? Jesus said Matthew 5, 7. Matthew 5, 7, he said, blessed are the merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. Well, I'd like to be shown mercy when I've done something wrong, so maybe I should think of some kind of mercy toward this individual. Jesus also taught Matthew 5, 43 to 47. He continues in these, these, this theme. He opens with the, the Beatitudes, and he's teaching just about practical life. Matthew 5, 43 to 47, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Yeah, Jesus taught of injustice here. Someone did you wrong. So wrong, you might even call him an enemy. And what, what does he say? Love them. Pray for them. That's his response to injustice. It's our example. I thought long and hard about this. Jesus said, pray for him. So I committed to doing that. I, didn't even, I never met this guy because he got pulled over five miles away from me, but I thought, I'll pray for him. I committed to doing that. Well, then I learned some more after time and law enforcement, they do reports and such. I learned he refused the breathalyzer. He's driving on a suspended license. He was uninsured. Now, now what am I going to do? It was his third DUI. Now he's facing a felony charge. Now how much mercy? I kind of want justice now. But, but justice doesn't have to negate mercy. And mercy doesn't mean there is no justice. I, so I have to deal with that. I have to deal with that. And again, I, I looked at God's word. How did Jesus apply this Justice and mercy. So there's an example. Jesus met a tax collector, a chief, a chief tax collector. It's, it's in Luke 19. The guy's name is uh, Zacchaeus. Well, he climbed up a tree to get a glimpse of Jesus. He heard of him. Jesus is walking by. He spots this guy in the tree, and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come on down immediately. I'm coming to your house for dinner. Well, the man got down out of the tree. He was thrilled. He welcomed Jesus. Trouble was, he was a chief tax collector. And in the Jewish culture, he's marked. He is marked as a collaborator with the enemy. He's collecting taxes for the Romans. He's got a reputation for cheating people, for taking more than they owe. He's hated by his fellow Jews, ostracized. And the Jews around Jesus, they grumble. They grumbled and and they said, why is this man going to be the guest of a tax collector and a sinner? Jesus is offering the man mercy. And Zacchaeus responded, welcomed Jesus, was thrilled. And Luke 19, verse 8 says, Zacchaeus stood up and said, Lord, 
Look, Lord, here now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Mercy. Mercy was extended. Justice was served. Zacchaeus promised restitution to all he cheated. Leviticus chapter 6 talks about restitution for stealing. Stealing if you've been deceived, if, if someone's extorted money from you, if it involves some kind of manipulation. Leviticus 6 says justice demands repayment plus 20%, plus a fifth. Now Leviticus goes on and it gets more specific. Other acts of thievery, you steal a sheep, well you return four, four times. The, the rule of justice required restitution plus 20%, sometimes all the way up to 500%, depending on what the crime was. Now this guy, Zacchaeus, he was moved by the mercy of Christ. And justice followed. It led to justice. He knew the Jewish law. He knew the law. He promised restitution. Whomever he cheated, plus 300%, total of four times. I'll pay back four times the amount. And there's a lesson here. There's a lesson about justice and mercy for both the cheater and the cheated. You've been cheated, you've been, or you were the cheater. Jesus, he showed the tax collector mercy. And Jesus was part of the Jewish culture. I don't know, sometimes we get this, this image of Jesus like he's, he's pure and holy and he stands outside all of it. Jesus was born and raised in, the, in Nazareth. He was born in Bethlehem, but you know, raised in Nazareth. He was the son of a carpenter. His dad had a business. Jesus was called a carpenter and the carpenter's son. Don't think he didn't know what paying taxes was all about or the guy coming around and maybe cheating him from time to time, taking from his family more than they actually owed. Jesus was in his 30s when he started his ministry. He was aware of the system and the corruption and the Romans uh, hiring Jews to collect taxes, all of it. His family might have been cheated. It's really not hard to imagine that. But Jesus shows the tax collector, the hated one, mercy. This guy who was shunned and hated by his own people. What did Jesus do? Did he say, hey, you, come out of the tree? No, he called him by name. Think, think, of, think of that for a minute. You're, you're hated by everyone in your community. Yeah, you're rich, you're wealthy, you can afford some nice things, but really no one wants to hang out with you. No one wants to be your friend because you, you've, been really, you've been cheating them all. And do they even know your name? Will they even call you your name or will it always be something disparaging like sinner? Well, Jesus didn't say, hey, sinner, come out of the tree. It's interesting, Luke 19 says, Jesus said, Zacchaeus. He called the man by his name. No wonder, no wonder he was thrilled. He was excited. This guy knows my name. His riches, his wealth, none of that, none of that could get that mercy that, that Jesus offered him. This was the guy who was the cheater. And Jesus, who may have been cheated, calling his name. And the cheater responded. He received the mercy, moved in his heart, 
And he did what was right. He promised the restitution. And, and there's this lesson then about justice and mercy when we've been wronged or we've done wrong. A lesson in the way that Jesus responded to the wrong by extending some mercy. Really wasn't an awful lot. Jesus didn't say, hey, you know, uh, I'll pardon every one of the things you've done and cheated people. He just called the man by his name, said, I want to come to your house. And then there's this lesson from the cheater, Zacchaeus. He, he did wrong, but when mercy was extended, he was like, okay, you know, I'll own up to it, and I'll deal with it. Justice followed the mercy. See, Jesus showed that mercy can lead to Repentance. It can lead to repentance and even restitution. Now, I would say that's ideal. That's ideal. It doesn't happen all the time. Restitution may not happen. Sometimes it can't happen. A guy smashed into my car. My car is still smashed. Will I get restitution? Should I hold out for it? Should I hold his feet to the fire? Should I offer some mercy? You know, I know some of you may be in a similar situation. You've been wronged. Someone's really done you wrong. They've hurt you. Maybe financially, relationally. What do you do? The wronged can extend some mercy. And if you've done wrong, if you're on that other side where you've, you've committed the, the bad act, at minimum, at minimum, we see repentance. We see a, a repentant heart in a guy like Zacchaeus. Repentance, that's the minimum. Restitution, it might not be able to happen. A, a person who wronged you might not even be around. Sometimes it's impossible. But repentance, if, if you've done the wrong, it's a must. And repentance, repentance fits in with how God's perfect justice is reconciled with his unbounded mercy. See, God loves justice. He's perfectly righteous. He administers what's just. Even if we think it's unfair, we don't like it. We don't like the rule. But God's the creator. We are the creature. We heard Cameron open with Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verse 10. We are his workmanship. We're not the worker. We're not the creator. We are the workmanship. He made the law. He made the standard. We have to keep it. And none of us do. None of us can. Paul the Apostle said it very plainly. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And what does God's standard require for that? Then what does God's standard require when we fall short? It demands life. That, that is the ultimate it demands life. That book of Leviticus, which we just love to gloss over. Leviticus 17, verse 11 says, For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I've given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Well, that's the standard. That's God's law. Life for life. He required life for sin. Sin is a... It's, it's a capital offense and God recognized the difficulty of giving life for sin so what did he do he offered some mercy 
He allowed a substitute for life, a lamb, a bull, a goat. Now those were substitutes. And they were substitute lives that had to be given over and over again for sin after sin. And that's the Old Testament. That's the book of Leviticus. Not the easiest book to read. We don't like to read it, actually. Some of that law, it, it seems unfair. How could God do that? Especially this part about atonement for sin. It requires blood. It requires a life. Well, that's God's law. It's confirmed in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, repeats this from Leviticus says, in fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Straightforward, plain. God's justice requires life for sin, for forgiveness, and it's restitution I can't pay. None of us can pay it. I don't have enough lives to pay it. I don't have enough lives to cover that debt. I wouldn't be here if I had to give my life for my first sin. It'd be done. So God, who demands justice, he demands justice. He offers mercy and his perfect justice and mercy that we as humans struggle to reconcile. There's no perfect meeting of justice and mercy for us and and how we approach it. But that binary pair that I call it of justice and mercy, they're reconciled and they come together completely, perfectly and in harmony in Jesus Christ walking up the hill of Calvary, carrying his cross, getting to the top and then laying down on his cross. This is the perfect meeting of justice and mercy. God knows we have a debt we can't pay. And yet his, his justice demands the debt be cleared. And then comes Jesus. Justice says, I need a life. Jesus replied, here I am. Here I am, take me. Jesus is mercy personified. He gave his life to satisfy justice. And let's continue in Hebrews chapter nine. Verse 22, repeated Leviticus Verse 23, it was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices. That's the bulls and the goats and the lambs. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these, than those substitutes. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. The temple here on earth, just a copy. It wasn't the real deal. Jesus entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again. The way the high priest enters the most holy place, the center of the temple, every year with blood that's not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have to suffer many times since the creation of the world. Here's the line. This is the one, all-encompassing. But Jesus has appeared once for all, at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself, pure mercy. He took it. He gave it up. He paid the price. Jesus mercifully offered his body to satisfy a just God, the just requirement of God. Pure justice, perfect, and and perfect mercy, they come together in Christ. And now how can you receive that mercy Well, that's where repentance comes in. 
That's why I said it's a part of it. See, repentance was the theme of Jesus' ministry. Matthew's gospel, Mark's gospel, Luke's gospel, they all begin with this. Jesus went out to preach repentance. It's all in the early pages. And he said, unless you repent, you too shall perish. He said, I have called sinners to repentance. His apostles continued that message after Jesus gave his life sacrificially. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is Peter's first sermon. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Acts 2.38. Acts 3.19. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and times of refreshing may come from the Lord. That, that, that's what is our responsibility, to receive the mercy, to get our debt covered, repent and turn to God, receive his mercy, and then the satisfaction for the justice that God requires, that's done through Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I want to celebrate that. That is, it's, it's overwhelming to take time to just think about it and meditate on it. And it's why we sit down at the communion table to be reminded of what Jesus did. Pure mercy. Gave his life to pay for our debt. That's why, the, that's why his word tells us, don't take it for granted. Do not discern this wrongly, what Jesus did. Take time to examine yourself because Jesus went to the cross for you, went to the cross for me. That's why the, the apostle Paul, he wrote to the city in Corinth, they had, they had perverted the communion table. They had just gone astray. It was a mess. So he, he talked to them. He wrote to them. Listen, you gotta straighten this out. And he gave them instruction. And, and he wrote, I received from the Lord what I passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed. So think about this. This is the night he's gonna go to the cross. The night he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, his merciful death, until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. Just, it's, it's the, one of the best lines of scripture for, for us to take in. Examine yourself before you partake of the bread and the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. There's justice here. This is about a just God. I, I don't want that. I don't want to eat and drink and bring judgment. The apostle continued, that's why many of you are weak and sick, a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Fantastic. 
Let's take a minute to do it. Let's take time to do it then. Let's take it to heart. It's important. It's important to not take for granted what Jesus mercifully did, gave his life. Let's discern it wisely and rightly and look internally. And we can deal with this this line of judgment, God's righteousness and being just by examining ourselves and repenting. And let's do that if we need to. Let's do that. Let's, Let's take time to really take that to heart this morning and receive not only the mercy of God, which is this great, great pardon that we don't deserve, we didn't merit it, but also grace, a free gift. So just take a minute in your own heart to look internally. Hold your bread, hold your bread. Thank you, Father, for your forgiveness and your grace and your mercy, the mercy of Jesus that met your perfect justice, your unbounded mercy in Christ. Lord, we're so grateful for that. We ask your your, your loving kindness to just be so evident to us that we would never ever take it for granted. Forgive us, Lord. We've looked inside our hearts. We've taken time to apply your word that we would judge ourselves and, and discern what Jesus has done for us and not come under judgment. Thank you for this opportunity, God. We appreciate it. We, we believe that you forgive when we confess and we're grateful for that, God, we thank you. Now we hold this bread, Father. We hold it before you and ask you to bless it unto us. Bless it unto us, God. It, it, it represents the broken body of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. When he had given thanks, he broke the bread and he said, do this in remembrance of me. This is my body. This is This is an image of his broken body for us, God, that he went to that cross willingly. He received my just punishment. He took on my sin. He took my penalty in his body. I thank you for that, God. I want to remember that. 
we all do properly and rightly and never, ever, never, ever take it for granted. We thank you for what he's done, Jesus, and we receive this bread in his name, in the name of Jesus. Blessed unto us, Father. Amen. Let's eat together. Thank you, Jesus. Now, prepare your cup. We hold these cups before you. Father, we invite your blessing. This is a cup of blessing that we bless and it's, it's difficult to comprehend it all that we ask you to bless this cup of blessing that Jesus spilled his blood. It's a blessing to us. Thank you for that, God. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. For whenever you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. So we do that this morning, Father, and we pray you bless this unto us. May it be life, may it be a reminder. May we leave here today. May we leave here today taking all of what Jesus has done for us so seriously and never for granted and, and help us to just walk away with it and share it with others. A cup of blessing that we bless. Thank you for it, God. We receive it with gratitude and gratefulness. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's drink together. Thank you for the cross, Lord. Thank you for the cross. Oh, was it the cross that you carried for me? Lord, I just pray that we'd all leave here today knowing the answer is yes. Yes for me. Yes, for me, God. I pray that's in every single heart here. And if there's anyone in this room, they, they struggle with saying that. They can't answer that. They can't say, yes, I know. Jesus Christ carried that cross for me. God, I pray you'd penetrate that heart right now. Penetrate that heart to turn as Jesus proclaimed and declared was his ministry. That people would turn in repentance. God, I pray for that right now, for any heart in this room, that their no would turn yes. They'd say, yes, Jesus carried that cross for me. Lord, may it be anyone hearing my voice. Bless it, God, bless it. May they turn to you. And thank you for every heart that has so many in this room that turned to you so long ago and continue to do it. God, may we leave here walking in you with Jesus in front of us, behind us, carrying us by his Holy Spirit. Thank you for that, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your redemption. Thank you for your mercy. We love you, Lord. We love you. And we're grateful. Now raise your hands for God's blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and grant you peace. And may the peace of Almighty God that passes our understanding. Keep every heart and mind and soul here through our Lord and our Savior, our merciful Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Go with that blessing this morning. 
And if you need prayer, there's elders are always here at the front. You can come to the front and receive prayer from our elders. God bless you this morning.